You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Twenty twenty. I mean, as, as there seems to be just some significance in saying twenty twenty. Who would have thought twenty years ago, at the turn of the century, that we would be this quickly already twenty years in and looking at twenty twenty? And for the past three weeks, beginning with the final Sunday of the year, we introduced the theme. And we've introduced it through a calendar and then through messages uh, on who's your one. In the last two Sundays, our associate pastor, Jeremy Horton, has uh, identified uh, our church family. We've become more acquainted with the emphasis on evangelism and discipleship. And I want everyone here to know that I have already listened to both of those sermons in their entirety. So I am on a level playing field here this morning with you. I've received the truth. I'm processing the messages. And I'm glad to announce that this sermon, the final sermon of a four-week sermon series emphasizing the theme, goes right along with what Pastor Horton was teaching last Sunday. So we're right on line. The Holy Spirit is at work. And I'm excited to bring this message to you this morning. I want to make this statement before I get started. I want to begin with this, and I want you to listen to it, fill in the blanks, and meditate on it for just a minute with me as I'll say it twice. That to be joyfully and meaningfully connected to a people praying, lost saving, word proclaiming, Christ adoring church is as good as it gets this side of heaven. Amen. I was hoping for a few more amens. But I will take the three or four that I received. Amen. I believe that statement as much as I believe a lot of things. That this church, to have a church that you love, to have a church, a place that you can call home to your spiritual growth, being joyfully, being meaningfully connected to a people praying, which we just did, a lost saving, a word proclaiming, which we're doing right now, a Christ adoring, which we did a moment ago, being a part of a church like that. My friends, my my family, is as good as it gets this side of heaven. I say all that by way of introduction because I don't know if that's the way that many people feel who attend church. I heard a very interesting statistic that is is accurate and, and, and has been tested and tried. And if anything, it's probably more unfavorable than the stats I'm going to give you. But that only 20%... 20% of Christians, of Americans rather, attend church regularly. 20% attend church regularly. Now, now let's, let's think about that for just a minute. Faithfully attend church, 20%. I, I think, at least my estimation, is I'm thinking as a pastor about what faithful church attendance means, I would think 40 out of 52 Sundays would be on the low side and and probably 46 to 50 would be more on the high side. You know, a couple, three, four weeks of vacation, maybe a week or two of sickness, maybe a, a weather, you know, uh, you know, something weather related. You know, but at, at, for the most part, 40 to 45, 50, that's, that's most people would probably consider that to be what a faithful church attender would be at their church. And only 20% of Americans are faithful to their church. But it kind of makes sense that that would also kind of roll over into the tenure of pastors. Because the average pastor in America stays at his church for three years. Only three. And moves on. And so maybe that has something to do with the fact that it's hard to find church members that are faithful and it's hard to find pastors that are faithful. Youth pastors stay about a year and a half. We're a lot harder on youth pastors than we are pastors. They're about a year and a half tenure before they move on. And so you can see that as we talk about this this theme of who's your one, that it is hard to get people connected to church when people who attend church are not connected themselves. And so the title of the message is very revealing. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning. I want to give you a state of the church address. In just a couple of weeks, our president will prayerfully give the state of the union address. It's always an important uh, speech for a nation to hear from its president. And I think it's also important that the pastor, once a year, preaches a message that sort of brings it all together and says, look, this is 
what it's all about, gospel light. May we be reminded of this one thing. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments about how to thrive and survive in the church you love. Those two statements don't go together as, as, as much as you would think, right? I mean, wait a minute, brother. You mean how to thrive, right? No, no, how to thrive and survive. If 20% of Americans attend church faithfully, we, there, there's some people that aren't surviving this thing. There's some things getting in the way. There's a lot of distractions. I can tell you right now that if I'm to have a good marriage, there's some surviving in that as well. It's not all peachy keen. Everything doesn't just go smoothly. Financially, in the marriage life, in your work, in church, there's absolutely nothing that will, that, 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 uh, nothing we do in life that does not require a survival mentality at times. But in order to have a, a church that we can thrive in and survive in and, 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 and love, I believe there's some things we need to recognize. And so I want to take just a moment and make this statement. That I think many are frustrated with church, but yet they're slow to see that they're getting out of church to a large extent is connected to what they're putting into church. You see, if you're not putting something into it, it's really hard for an extended period of time to get anything out of it. Let me give you top five reasons why people leave church. Number one, the church is not helping me spiritually. And so I'm going to move on. I'm just not getting fed. I'm not getting help spiritually. Man, that's a prayer that everybody that preaches from this pulpit, we pray that that is not the case here. That you are getting fed spiritually. That the opportunity to grow spiritually is here at Gospel Light from the pulpit ministry, from the small group ministry, from the Bible reading ministries that we do together. We pray that you are able to grow spiritually, but nevertheless... It's one of the top five reasons why people move on. I'm just not getting help spiritually. Number two, I don't feel engaged or involved in the work of the church. I just don't feel engaged. I don't feel involved. I haven't got connected to an opportunity. And again, I would say uh, this to you about that, that there are many opportunities just in case that's something you're thinking about. I want, would want you to know. It may not be what... You want, but it, I can promise you, if you're willing to humble yourself and say, look, if there's an opportunity, it doesn't have to be what I want or what's on my list or my wish list or my bucket list. I, I, I'll take whatever I can do. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So just anything you've got, pastor, is good with me. But it's a reason why people leave. Number three, I'm disenchanted with church members. Oh, I'm just hypocrites and, you know, I've been offended and... And so-and-so just, you know, gets on my nerves, and I don't like this about them, or I don't like that, or I can't. Number four, I just don't like the pastor. Why are you laughing right now? That's not a, it's not a good time to laugh. I couldn't skip this, but I wanted to skip it. Anyway, I don't like the pastor. And then number five, the fifth reason why people leave church is, I just, I don't like the change. I don't like the change. I want to do it the way we've always done it. Oh, here's another, another app. Technology. I just wish we could go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls and read those for a while, you know. And so I just don't like the change. They're always changing something. I don't like the change of the color of the carpet or the chairs or the walls or the this or the that. I don't like change. This is a reason why people leave. This is why people are changing churches. Top five reasons. I said all that. In order to say this, stay, 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 and stay some more. And I believe that if you'll stay, that you'll find out how great stay is and how bad leave is. Now, I realize that people are going to leave. In fact, you might be wondering if I'm preaching this message for Nathan Sellers, you know. You know, Nathan's back there with Danae, and they're saying, oh, yeah, preacher, oh, here he is preaching on the Sunday before I leave, next Sunday. No, no, I'm not preaching it to Nathan. He's, the only reason he's on my mind is because I I knew you'd laugh when I said that. People leave. I get it. People have other opportunities in ministry. People have jobs they have to leave. Uh, Military sometimes requires them to leave to another area. There's a lot of reasons why people would have to leave that are legit. 
But I think you know what I'm talking about. I think you know my heart. You know the context in what I'm preaching this is as we live in this local church community called Hot Springs, Arkansas. By the way, I feel this way about other churches and their members. Amen. This is not a a message uh, that I'm hoping other churches won't have this same result. I'm, I'm praying that all of us will see the value in staying somewhere. And you know, after 27 years of staying... I might have a little credibility to be able to bring a message like this. And I'm going to share with you one of the most transforming decisions of Carol Ann, my wife, and I's life. And that is deciding to stay in one church for a lifetime, for better or for worse, with God's help. That statement right there is a statement that I believe with all of my heart is without question has been a life transforming decision. That that I've not left every three years, that I've not looked for opportunities to move on, that I've not I've not fallen into this trap of leaving is better than staying. So I want to talk to you about staying, because I'm not so sure that we can really connect to who's your one. If we are going to have a mentality that doesn't understand that people need to know that there is a place called the local church, they can grow spiritually, not with perfect people, but with imperfect people, just like themselves, but together we can grow and, and, and overcome some of the things that, that, that take place in, in life. And so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. The same passage that Jeremy ended with last week, we're going to start with today. And I want to give you four things on how to survive and thrive in the church you love. I want us to look at four different professions that are mentioned in the first six verses of 2 Timothy. And as Paul is discipling Timothy, he begins by saying, You then, my child, my child, my disciple. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for God's grace? The grace that he gives us is enough for what he allows. God's grace. Yesterday I saw it personified in the visit that I made at the hospital at UAMS two weeks ago. No sign of cancer. No sign of any need for surgery, for tumors on the brain. Two weeks later, devastating news. And what do you do? You call your pastor and say, come anoint us with oil. God's in control. I don't think they had that kind of grace two weeks ago. But I can tell you they have it now. Because God's grace is always sufficient. And that's why God, Paul says here to Timothy, be strong in the grace. We need the grace of God. It's in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, in what you have heard from me. What you've heard. Pay close attention to the way that that's laid out. What you've heard. No, no one was holding a Bible. The Old Testament scriptures were in scrolls in the temples. And the New Testament was not finished yet. And the letters that were being written to the churches were still being written by this, during this time. And even the Gospels were still, many of the Gospels were still being written during the time of this writing. So he, they didn't have an open Bible in front of them like you have the privilege of having today. It was, remember, Timothy, what you've heard, what I've told you. In the presence of many witnesses, not one-on-one, Paul is referencing his preaching here. Paul is talking about this kind of a setting where he says, remember what I've told you, what I've talked to you about in the presence of many witnesses. I want want to entrust you with this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Top five discipleship verses in the word of God without any question. So I want you to pay close attention to the very first profession that Paul mentions here. It's teaching. He says, I want you to be able to teach others also. So number one, here's what Paul is saying. Learn like a teacher. Learn like a teacher because the idea here is that teachers are learners. We never stop learning. In fact, one of the things about traveling to Israel that blew me away is I learned so much. You know, after 54 years of life and 27 years of pastoring and Bible school and master's degree and all the studying that I've done, when I went to Israel and saw the different places that I saw, and we had a little journal that walked us through some of the different places we went and some of the things we heard and connecting the dots, and I came back thinking, man, there's so much more I can learn about the Bible. That's the way teachers are. Teachers are always looking for things that they can learn because there is a way that a teacher learns that nobody, like nobody else. 
Teachers are always listening for content that they can use. They're looking for hey, you know, illustrations. Would that help? How would that work? Does that, does that help get the point across? Is that right? How, how does this apply? Notice the phrase here, entrust to faithful men. Paul says this, the things I have taught you, you should be teaching to others also. Remember now, Timothy, the only way this works is this. If what I'm giving you, you're loading up, you're learning it. The only way this works is if you take what I've given you and then you in turn give it to somebody else. Learn like a teacher. The Dead Sea was one of the most amazing sites that we visited. The Dead Sea is uh, in between the Sea of Galilee and the Red Sea. And it's one of the most amazing things. Of course, everybody wants to talk about, did you go in the Dead Sea or did you float in the water? Yes, we did. We, we were able to, some went into the Dead Sea. It's very, very, very cold. So we went, and there was a little resort that we stayed in. And part of the tour package was to go into the resort free and take advantage of all of its amenities. And so the big pool there in the resort had Dead Sea water. And so we got in the water and boy, you, you walk in, just get to about right here and you start, you start feeling yourself kind of becoming unstable. And if you fall on your front, you're going to be, feel sorry because that salt's going to get in your eyes. It's going to be a mess. But if you just fall backwards, you float. It's amazing. It's an amazing sensation. But that's not the lesson of the Dead Sea this morning. And that's not why it's called the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea for this reason. Because 1,476 feet below sea level, 6.5 million tons of fresh water pour into the Dead Sea every day. And zero ounces go out. So nothing can live there. Nothing. There's no life in the Dead Sea. Because only in and never out equals dead. Are you getting this? Hey, Timothy, what I'm pouring in, you better give out. Or before long, you'll start looking for another church, looking for another place. Listen, many Christians are like the Dead Sea. Because if you're only taking in, that's going to get stale and stiff and dry and dead quickly. And then you'll go try something else, realizing the problem wasn't the place. The problem was the person. And if you want to thrive and survive in the church that you love, it never gets old when you give it away. It never gets old. That's what's so exciting about preaching every Sunday. You may wonder, why does preacher preach with such excitement and enthusiasm? Because I can't wait to give you what I got. It's just so powerful and so amazing and so phenomenal that when I get to the pulpit and get to give it to you, I can't wait to go get something else and something fresh and something exciting because it never gets stale when you give it away. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Remember when you first got saved and you were taking in and it was so exciting, you were sharing it with others, the good news of the gospel of the truth that you learned. But somewhere along the way, distraction set in. You got used to it. Before long, things began to happen. And, oh, listen, why did that take place? Because we stopped talking to each other about what we were learning. And that's why small groups are so important. I love the dynamic of a small group of a small church in a small home where we take these truths from the pulpit and we, we break them down and we talk more in depth about them or we meet with our disciple, our one. And we, listen, and I can assure you, they are excited about talking to you. They, 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 they are depending on you. And so that's why we need to talk to one another. Pour into three or four people at all times. Who is your one? If you don't have one, I promise you that you're pouring into before long, you'll get stale and, and dry and stiff. And this will almost seem like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Why would anybody want to do that? Let me ask you a question. How many people are counting on you spiritually? And I'm not talking about your children right now. I get that. But is there somebody counting on you spiritually? Is there somebody... Maybe going through a tough time that just, you'd be the first call. 
Man, I just need to talk to that soul. And so I know, I know they'll pray for me. I know they'll have an answer. I know they'll go to the scriptures. I know they'll, they'll, they'll give me something that, that I need. I just, I need to talk to them because I, I'm counting on them. They poured into me and I know they'll answer the phone. I know they'll return the text. I, I know I'm so glad they're in my life. Who's counting on you? Who's your one? Who's your one? I feel as if after a while, what's happened, just addressing this in compassion and love, that if we are 20, 30 years into this thing of Christianity and there's nobody counting on us spiritually outside of our little nest, we're missing it. God is calling us to a higher calling to share with others what we have learned. Learn like a teacher. And then secondly, notice the second profession he mentions in chapter number 2 and verse number 3 of 1 Timothy. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So first of all, I'm going to learn like a teacher, but then secondly, I'm going to suffer like a soldier. I'm going to suffer like a soldier. I realize that suffering kind of comes along with the package. It's not easy. I'm going to have to rearrange my schedule a little bit. I, it, 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 there's going to be some challenges. It's not. I learned something about suffering in our visit to Israel as we walked the Via Dolorosa, the way of Calvary. We understood the sufferings of our Savior in order for you and I to experience eternal life and the sufferings of others who have given their lives and the suffering of our missionaries that are leaving China even as we speak, there is suffering involved in the Christian life. It's remarkable how boldly and how frequently suffering is mentioned in the Bible. It's amazing. It's no wonder we should expect it and expect more of it in these end times. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange is happening right now. I can't believe that the Christian life is challenging. I can't believe it's hard. I, I can't believe this doesn't make sense. I thought it was supposed to be easy. No, 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 that's not it. It requires a mentality that is willing to suffer. Just like a soldier. And Paul isn't asking Timothy to do something he's not willing to do himself. That's why he says, share in suffering. Share. Let's do this together. Take your share of rough treatment for Jesus Christ. Take your share of it. Don't run from it. Take it like a soldier. Not like a victim in an alley. Not like a coward before a criminal. Soldiers actually sign up for suffering. They sign up for it. They know it's in their future. They're not surprised by it. They don't shrink back from it. Which beach are we going to? How many are going? Let's do this thing. Let's run into this suffering. We've got to, it may cost us our lives, but we're willing to do it for the cause. The Holy Spirit told Paul to tell Timothy, learn like a teacher and suffer like a soldier. That's what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's think about local church ministry since that's the subject. That's the matter at hand. I mean, the actual title of the message did say how to thrive and survive. So now we're in survival mode for a moment. As a soldier, we're trying to just stay in this thing, right? Stay in the battle. Stay focused. Stay at it. Because there's a cause. What are some things that we can suffer? I don't know that anybody's facing the guillotine this week. I think we're all good there. I think we're probably all good as far as crucifixion. I don't see that happening. I don't think we're going to have to be crucified upside down like Peter. Or exiled to some island like John. Or even excommunicated from our country that we serve in like Kevin and Craig. But what are some things that you and I might suffer through this week? Well, number one... In local church ministry, we suffer offense. We do. In local church ministry, we suffer offense. I, I, I'm saying this in all seriousness. I really am. I mean, I'm not saying this like as a little petty thing. I mean, it's serious. Hey, listen, hands up confession time. And I want you to, I'm going to say it slow. 
because I know we're hesitant. This is not a trick question. In fact, my hand's going to go up first. My hand is already up. Okay, so my hand is going to stay up through the question. So hands up confession time. Hands up if you've ever been offended by another Christian at church. That's what I thought. Sure. I would imagine everybody has. If you've been in church for a year, two years, three years, five years, I mean, let's face it. It may be petty. It may not be a big thing. It may have been a big thing. I don't know exactly what it was, but I know that I've been offended. I've suffered through some offenses as a Christian in the last 27 years as a member of this church. But you know what I've decided? You know what? I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to run from that. I'm not going to allow that offense to drive me away. I'm going to find a way to reconcile, to work this out. To uh, Yes, I, I may be a little hurt, a little bit stunned, a little bit offended, but I'm not going to go look for another church because I've suffered through this. I'm going to work through it and stay for the sake of my disciple, for the sake of the city, for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ, for the sake of learning how to forgive others. But we, also have, we all have suffered the offense. Maybe it's we are underappreciated in what we do. Now, I say that not because I need any more appreciation, because can I tell you something about pastors? Usually the pastor is the most appreciated person in the church. You know, he, he gets all the recognition, right? I mean, most of the time that happens. You know, it's his birthday. It's the anniversary. And I get it. And I'm honored by that. I'm thankful for that. Look, I'm not lacking. I had a church family just remodel my office. It's beautiful. I mean, I've walked into it after Israel and I got a new desk and new chairs and new sofas and new flooring. And I'm like, and the church didn't spend any money on it. It all came out of a family that said, hey, the pastor's office needs remodeling. And I'm like, wow, okay. I don't know. All week long, I've been sending them thank you notes. I don't know how to express my gratitude enough. I don't know how to say it enough. Usually the pastor is not lacking in good message. We love you, pastor. But can I tell you, maybe there is someone here today who is on the sidelines of serving because you've been underappreciated. You were serving faithfully and doing your job and, and, and just, you know what, it just, it just, you just didn't get appreciated. Like maybe, in, and, and you served in the nursery or served in some sort of a, of a you know, a, in the shadows and, and it just never came. And I understand that and I get that. And by the way, can I stop here and take a time out and say, shouldn't we all probably try to do a little better job at showing our appreciation to others? Amen? Probably should. I should. Maybe today we can start. Maybe we can pour it on, you know, to the nursery workers. And when we get over there and say thanks, they can be like, wow, what, what, you know, what happened to you? Sermon? You know, <laughs> I listen. Maybe we could thank those. I, I know that Jamal, he was in the first service. He's on staff uh, and he does a lot of cleaning. And Jamal came from the Gethsemane ministry. Now he's on staff at a church. Can I get an amen? And Jamal, I drove by the church yesterday night, last night about 9 p.m., or 8 p.m., and I saw Jamal clean, and he was taking the mats and doing this, you know, getting all the things on and putting them and straightening them up, and I just, I stood there in my car for a minute and just watched him, and I thought, man, tomorrow I'm going to make the biggest deal of that, and so I did this morning when I saw him. I gave him a big hug, and I said, Jamal, you're the man, and he smiled. Man, those pearly whites came out, you know, and he smiled. He said, thank you, Pastor. We probably need to work at that more. We probably need to express gratitude more. I know the worship team was singing this morning. I'm going to put myself on the line right now. And I got my phone out, and I, and I, and I just put, uh, I have a place where I can put notes to myself, and I put letters to worship team this week. Now, if I don't write the letter, worship team, you know I'm lying, because I'm going to write your letter this week, because I was so blown away. What about the banjo? Can I get an amen on the banjo? Micah Perryman. Wow. What about James Hendricks? I mean, he's up there. At first, he looked like he was playing with sleep deprivation. I mean, because James went on the trip to Israel, and I'm thinking, I don't even know how James is up there. But then as he got into it, you know, don't you love James? He kind of goes, I love that, man. He's playing with all his heart, you know. I love it. And I'm just thinking, you know what? They're long overdue. I hadn't written these guys a letter in about four months, and it's time, it's time for them to know their pastor. So, yes, could we do a better job of saying thank you? No doubt about it. But can I tell you something? If you're never given thanks by another human being, it's being noticed by God. He does not let any of it go. And no, you don't give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus that he doesn't recognize. 
And if we could live our lives in such a way that we would not be offended by anyone who doesn't appreciate us as much as we think they should, knowing that God is the one who will give the reward. We need to suffer through ingratitude. In local church ministry, we suffer disappointment with others. It's tough. It's hard sometimes because people let us down, don't they? We, we get let down. The pastor lets us down or a church member lets us down or uh, somebody who we really had a lot of confidence in fell into sin. And we're just so disappointed. I mean, how could they do that? They were teaching against that and they did the very thing. They, I don't get this. And I'm just done with this. Listen, that's part of suffering. People make mistakes. We've got to get past that and realize that that, that, that we, we don't need to feel as if we're any better than someone because we haven't made that same mistake. Suffer through the disappointment of others. I want to draw your attention to the screen for just a moment as Paul said something here, and I love this. Paul is running uh, through some things in this text that he went through in the ministry. You ready for this? All right, I'm going I'm to read to you, and you're going to see it on the screen. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, telling us some of the disappointment he's had in ministry. Here it is. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil, in hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold, and exposure. I read all that and thought, Wow. None of that's ever happened to me. I'm good so far. Nothing on that list applies to me until the very last thing. And then I wondered as I read the last thing, I wonder if Paul saved this because this was the toughest one. I wonder if Paul shared the hardest one last. Yeah, all that other stuff, you know, it was tough, but I got through it. But apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. As I read that, I thought about my personal life. And years ago, I remember I was living my life with that kind of pressure, concerned about other churches. Now, this won't apply to everyone here, thankfully, because it's been so far in my past, but it is part of my testimony, that I traveled every Monday and Tuesday to other churches that I would leave and go preach other places and leave this church for two and three and four days sometimes and just come back and maybe preach on a Wednesday night or the weekends. It was just my life, my lifestyle. I'd gotten caught up in helping other churches and taking on their burdens. And so what happened is our church began to grow and everybody was amazed because... We were growing. We, we were at one time up to 1,500 every Sunday. But if you looked around, everybody was coming from other churches. They were moving here. They were hurt people, hurt by churches, hurt by pastors, leaving their hurts and coming here to be healed or whatever you want to call it. And for a while it worked until finally one day a pastor said to me, you're, you're, you're going to shipwreck your life and your family. He said, Eric, I'm telling you, this is not healthy. You're, you're spending your time traveling everywhere, going all over the nation, carrying the anxiety of all these churches and trying to help all these people. But God's called you to this local church and you're neglecting this church. And so through a series of events and counseling, this is one of my bumps in the road. This is one of my survival testimonies. This is not thriving. This is surviving. I changed and I, I, I began to pay more attention to our church. And in doing that, I realized, wow, I have neglected our church. We need, we need to make some changes. And as I began to make some good changes with the support of some, we ended up having a lot of those people that moved here leave. Because I was caring more about this church and the future of just our church and trying to reach the people of Hot Springs, I began to lose others. And so for five years, man, I was... I was in a valley, and I was just struggling to survive. I mean, things were, I mean, you, you talk about financial woes. I mean, we were 30 days away from 
foreclosure on all of our buildings. 30 days away, $100,000 in debt just in mortgages. $400,000 in debt to vendors and payroll. It was over. It was all done. I was having men walk up to me and say, you leaving? I don't blame you. Walk away, pastor. I mean, we'll pick up the pieces and buy us a little church out in the country and figure it out. I said, I'm not even thinking about that. God's going to do something. A man in our check wrote us a che- wrote one check for $100,000. Gave it to me, said, go give that to the bank. I went to the bank and I gave him $100,000. We were caught up on our mortgage. We started paying all of our bills and made massive cuts and got all of our payroll caught up, all of our vendors paid. It took five years to, we had some of you in this room were offended by all of this. I don't blame you. I'm just glad you're back and decided you're going to let this thing heal and God has healed our church. Amen. You say, I can't believe you're this transparent. Why not? Why not tell you what I've been through so you know you're not the only one? We're in this thing together. And we've stayed through many toils and dangers and and we've been through a lot. But I want you to know that as we suffer through the disappointment of others, even sometimes of the pastor, of members, of leaders, of people, we must not get offended to the point where we walk away. We got to work through it. And Paul did work through it. Notice he said, I love this in verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. How cool is that? If you're a soldier, you know what I'm talking about. If you signed up for, you know, for the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, you know, hey, there was no more. Let's, let's, just, let's just take the haircut, for example. You know, you're getting in line with 30 guys. It's one minute per haircut. There ain't no such thing as, a, you know, $50 for a style cut, you know, and I want this line in my hair, and I want this, you know. I mean, we, we, we want all this stuff. We want to pursue all these things. And I think what Paul's saying here is, wait a minute, you're getting so caught up in the world's pleasure and you're getting off track from what's most important because you've got entangled in the world. But no soldier, no real soldier entangles himself with civilian pursuits. This is business. This is serious. We've got to please the one who enlisted us, Jesus Christ. Amen. And then number three. You learn like a teacher, you suffer like a soldier. And then thirdly, the third profession is you compete like an athlete. Look at verse 5. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, if you're a big sports guy, I want you to know this is the only time athlete is used in the New Testament. So this is your verse. This is your verse. If you like sports, we're on your subject right here. And the Bible says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's been an amazing week in Major League Baseball, hasn't it? The Houston Astros have been in spin mode, losing their managers and players. And boy, it's a crazy world right now in that, in that profession, in that sport, because somebody decided I'm not going to follow the rules. Anybody ever heard of Tanya Harding? Anybody ever heard of Lance Armstrong? Pete Rose? Not going to follow the rules. An athlete who doesn't follow the rules, who tries to compete without following the rules, is not going to be crowned. And I think we understand celebrity athletes who break the rules, but what about celebrity pastors who break the rules? What about pastors who break the rules? What about church members who break the rules? The rules. And I want to take just a moment and have our ushers get ready because I think there is something here. Just before we take the offering, if our ushers would stand and even come forward. When you signed up to be a church member, you know, I want to confess something. And I want you to know this. This is important. I think it's just we're being transparent. I think we need to hear this in this beginning of the year. Probably never going to say this again until next year. But it needs to be said as we start this year off that... In two weeks when we have our new member orientation, if you've ever been to one of those, you know that we actually stand up and say, these are some of the things, the expectations we have from every church member. Number one, we expect every church member to attend church faithfully. Is that okay? Is it okay to, if you're going to join, that we should kind of expect to see you here? Amen. I mean, you don't have to join. You can just come when you want and don't worry about joining. Just that, that's, 
That's okay for everybody. Anybody can come when they want to come. And, but if you're going to join, the expectation is you're going to be committed. You're going to come. You're going to grow with us. Secondly, if you join our church, we expect everybody to give generously. It's in the church covenant. It's there. It's something we expect. We, we wouldn't think that anybody would attend church faithfully and, and call this their home and not contribute financially. It doesn't make sense. I would rather someone not join or find a place they can invest in. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The only people that cause problems in the church are the ones that don't tithe. I don't even know why they would want to come if they're not willing to give. My point is this, not trying to run anybody off. I'm actually trying to get everybody here to realize this is a huge part of our church covenant, the offering. And as we face a deficit in a day and age, especially in this day where economy is great and stock market is soaring and people are driving new cars and buying new houses and we're blessed beyond measure, the church should be blessed too. I've been gone for three weeks. My offering this week will be incredible because I wasn't able to deposit any checks, but when I got back and deposited everything this morning, I wrote my generous tithe offering and missions, and I thought, here's what I thought. I love my church, and there's no way I can thrive and survive without this every week. This is my duty. This is, this is what God's called me to. And I say that to say, I wish all of us would feel this compulsion to want to compete like an athlete. And then thirdly, the Bible teaches us, or rather we, we expect at our church, one of the things that we expect is that people would get involved. That we would not just be bystanders, but that would, or spectators, but that we would be participants. I mean, can you imagine an athlete training and never getting on the field? Never, ever playing, never participating. No, you, you, you train to participate. And so we want folks to serve. Father, bless this offering. God, I pray that you take it and multiply it. This is an important part of our service, whether we give online, through an app, through texting, or through this offering. God, may we as a church family begin to work together to compete like an athlete in the work of the Lord. Learn like a teacher. Suffer like a soldier. Compete like an athlete. And then finally, number four, in Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready? Harvest like a farmer. Harvest like a farmer. You see, you will not be able to compete like an athlete, or rather, you'll not be able to harvest like a farmer until you learn like a teacher, suffer like a soldier, compete like an athlete, and then guess what? You start enjoying the harvest. You're like, man, I'm a part of this thing. Every soul that gets saved, every life that's changed, every thing that happens, I have a part. I'm harvesting like a farmer. I want you to notice verse 6. Read it with me in your text. You ready for this? Word for word. Here it is. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Wow. How cool is that? The hard-working farmer. That one who puts his Hand to the plow. Doesn't turn back. Amen? Here's one that says, you know what? I'm going to learn like a teacher. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, uh, suffer like a soldier. I'm going to compete like an athlete. And then I'm going to enjoy the harvest. Man, God is doing great things at my church. And I want to be a part of it. But I want to say this. You can't serve the Lord on an empty stomach. You've got to feed yourself first. You've got to feed yourself first. That's the importance of harvesting like a farmer is that the farmer is able to share with his family the first fruits of his harvest. And so that's why you and I need to take in the word so that we can properly give out the word. Feed yourself first. You can't feed others unless you feed yourself first. Feast on the word of God first. Be discipled First, all of us need to be discipled before we can disciple someone else. Feed yourself first so that you'll be able to feed others. I love the fact that we're reading our Bibles together this year. I love it. I've already had discussions with people who, like, for instance, last week we read about uh, 
Abraham and Isaac, or maybe that was week before last. Anyway, last few days we've, we've read, if you've been following along with the F-260 plan, you know that's been in, this, in, in the Word, that's been in our reading time together, right? And we had the greatest discussion about that because we're reading it together, we're growing together, we're talking about it. What did you get? What did I get? What did you get? What did I get? It's great stuff. But that only comes when you feed yourself first. Get in the Word. Be discipled. That's what this theme is all about. Who's your one? And then finally, I want to give you something to move all this from your head to your heart. Notice in verse 7. It's a very interesting verse. Let's go to the verse first. It says, think over what I say. Think it over. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Number one, he says, I want you to reflect. Now, can I tell you what I know happens in messages and sermon series? Like, I already know this. I've been pastor for 27 years. Let me tell you what happens to most of my sermons. Everybody ready? They go in one ear and out the next. It's okay. I get it. I've preached 6,000 sermons here. <laughs> That's a lot of information. Amen? So here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to, I don't want you to try to remember, what did Brother Eric preach in 2005? I don't want you to remember, what, what did Eric preach this Sunday last year? Oh, I, don't worry about it. It's okay. I get it. But would you do me a favor? Would you think over what you've heard for the past four weeks? Would you reflect and answer the question, who's your one? Answer it. Don't let it go a week, two weeks, five weeks, two months, six months. Oh, yeah, the theme again. Yeah, I was supposed to, ah, ah. Well, I'll wait till next year. Right now, we ought to be reflecting on these four messages. Letting them sink in. Secondly, he says in verse 8, go to the verse. He says, remember. So reflect, number two, remember. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead. Offspring of David has preached in my gospel. I love it. He says, I want you to remember two things about Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to remember about Jesus Christ is he is risen from the dead. Amen. You know, I believe he said that because that, my friends, is the victory we have in serving the Lord. We have victory. Listen, we know what the end of the story is. We know that we are winners in Christ. He rose from the dead. We will raise with him. We'll spend an eternity with him. We're going to come back and rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth with him. We were actually on the temple mount where Jesus Christ will rule and reign the nations. We were there. Remember Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. Secondly, remember this. He's the offspring of David. That's a strange one. Why would I want to remember that he's the offspring of David? Well, I think there's some significance in knowing that Jesus Christ is the rightful heir to the throne. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And that's what it means when the scripture says he's the offspring of David. It's please don't forget that Jesus Christ is the rightful heir to the throne. He is going to be, he is now and forever the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Don't forget that. Remember that as you serve. Remember who you're serving. Reflect, remember, number three, resolve. I love that old hymn. It's old. Likely not to sing it much in church anymore. I'm okay with that. But it's something I sang so many times, I remember, I am resolved. I am resolved no longer to linger. I'm resolved. Can I tell you what the scripture says about resolve? Therefore, I endure everything. Doesn't matter what you throw at me. Doesn't matter what happens, what offense comes. Doesn't matter what people say or don't say. Doesn't matter if I get thanked or not. I'm not worried about that. I am resolved to endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. Church, resolve. Resolve to get your one. Resolve to be discipled and to disciple. Resolve in your hearts this morning to not let this four-week sermon series come and go with no change, with no resolutions, with no commitments. May we all this morning take some time in this invitation to bow before the King and 
answer the question, who's counting on me spiritually? Who's my one? And God, if I don't have anybody in mind, Lord, show me over the next eight weeks. That's about how long it's going to take for us to get this discipleship program up and running. We've got a few things to do. We've got some more curriculum we're writing. We've got to go through our deacons and elders and and, 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 and have the process fully complete before we can launch the program. But we are this close. And when we get there, I'm asking you to be ready. Ready to be discipled and ready to eventually or immediately disciple someone. You're here this morning. You've never trusted Christ. You've never become a follower of Christ. It's be a great moment, a great opportunity to step out and trust Him as your Savior. You'll have that opportunity. We'll be up front ready to pray with you or speak with you about that or even after the service. But if you're here today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an obligation to answer that question. And I challenge you this morning, don't let this series... It's over. Next Sunday, we're not speaking on this subject. New series, new messages, new texts. Hey, don't let this one pass by. Don't miss this one truth of evangelism, of discipleship, the mission of the church. Father, I love you and I thank you, God, for our church, our church family. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. I pray that you would help this message and these messages to spur us on to good works. Father, may we be willing to do these things that you have admonished us to do, to learn like a teacher that we might teach others also to suffer like a soldier, to take our share of suffering in this Christian life without complaining, to compete like an athlete, to follow the rules, to do what's right, to recognize the importance of being faithful, of contributing, of serving. God, help us to harvest like a farmer. Lord, may we feed ourselves first so we can feed others. I love you, Lord. I love these people. God, help us to stay faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?